Ike writes in and says, uh, Andrew, um, it was uh, uh, the Democrats have replaced Operation Warp Speed with Operation Ludicrous Speed. Uh, that is ludicrous policy implemented at ludicrous speed. I, I, I get that. It's, it reminds me, as I've said in the past, I'm going to bring my, uh, my, my guest on. She is uh, Dr. Nan Hayworth, former member of Congress from the great state of New York. Uh, Nan, as I used to say during the Obama years, uh, you know, it was the max power approach to doing things, which is a, a, references to, a reference to the Simpsons. There's a right way and a wrong way in the max power way. And Bart then says to Homer, yeah, isn't the max power way the wrong way? And Homer says, yes, it is, uh, but faster. A- am I right, Nan? This, yeah. There has been a, 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 a press down on the gas pedal. Uh, to yeah. to just rocket us forward on this. Talk about what's happening in Congress. What disturbs you the most? Well, it, you know, Andrew, the fact that, look, it, it, as I think was the case uh, with uh, the uh, first two years of Barack Obama's presidency, uh, the Democrats have to be aware that they only have two years to get anything they may want to accomplish on their agenda done, Uh, which means they must have some feral awareness that what they're doing actually will prove sufficiently unpopular with the American electorate, at least as defined thus far through congressional districts and the Electoral College, although they're working on that as fast as they can. Uh, You know, they, they know it's going to be a problem and they're going to lose uh, further uh, seats uh, and and Senate seats uh, in the next election, because what they're doing is outrageous for uh, a large portion of the American public. That's why yeah, they're Nan- rushing so much. No, no, believe me, I, I, I get that. The problem, of course, is right, Nan, is that once this stuff gets either voted on in terms of legislation or once it gets it goes through the executive branch and through the regulatory process, it is so yeah. hard to undo. And so, you know, we listen, we, we, we tried. There are a lot of reasons why we were never able to repeal or replace Obamacare. But, but yeah. the bottom line is here we are. We're now a decade into Obamacare. And this is this is what we what we are. Let me let, so let, let's go here. You know, um, actually, before we talk about Joe Manchin, I, I got this here. I want to get your take on the Dr. Seuss story this week. Uh, obviously, I've spent a lot of time talking about this. I'm going to talk about a little bit about this with Bob Ehrlich in a little bit. Um, yeah. But uh, this, this I, Jonah Goldberg has a piece today, yesterday, about the yeah. hot take. And I think you and I have talked about my belief that the hot take is the um, is the is the the the, the greatest uh, accelerant of the decline of Western civilization uh, that's out there. Uh, there's somebody named Jeff Tiedrich who wrote this today. Or, or last couple of days. First, they came for the plastic toy potatoes, and I did not speak out because nobody is coming for the plastic toy potatoes, you whiny, paranoid, attention-seeking grievance babies. Now, this is this is the problem, right? I, I mean, talk about this and, and the hot take and cancel culture. I want to get your thoughts on it. You know, Andrew, this is all the uh, perverse result of prosperity. This is the result of our not having, thanks to the incredible blessings of the free enterprise system primarily, not having to scrabble for subsistence. And once that's the case, uh, then we have the time and the luxury uh, to direct our complaints toward everything else. 
Uh, and I think that's uh, that's what's enabling so much of this concentration on uh, cultural issues. That and uh, I think it's also, interestingly enough, Andrew, culturally, I think it is also a perverse result of, believe it or not, the American uh, drive for perfectibility. We yeah. can make things better, right? And and the vision that that uh, the folks uh, on the conservative uh, libertarian side want to make things better in a certain way, those on the government coercion side uh, want to make things better in a certain way, and we uh, we obviously uh, find a, a, a tremendous. Uh, clash in the middle of this. And I think that's a lot of our struggle. Interestingly enough, if you want to look at, you know, what's the root, we all think we can, we can make things better in this prosperous society. And the irony is we cannot agree on what better actually means. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, I had a conversation with a, uh, a friend of mine, teaches political science at William and Mary, as someone I've considered a, a colleague and a mentor. And he recommended a book to me about uh, about uh, uh, essentially tribalism and and the politics, not identity politics, but have uh, how politics have become an identitarian, a tribal issue. And yeah. I, I want to get your thoughts as someone who's been involved in politics uh, a good chunk of of your life. Uh, I mean, yeah. you were a doctor, but you got involved in politics. Oh yeah. Can you talk about how things have changed in terms of how now? We used to identify with issues that we want to solve. Now we really identify with tribe and the dangers that, that ensue from that. You know, I think, I, Andrew, I it's think a tough, I, Nan, it's always, a tough question, and I, I, I know I'm, I'm posing it to you at 825 no, on a Saturday morning, but still. No, no, it's quite all right. I think there's, there's always been a tendency. Uh, it, is, it is deeply ingrained among us to identify with our tribes because there's a sense of security when we are in our groups. Uh, but I think what has happened is that you know, World War II had a profound effect on the American, uh, on the American psyche, on American cohesion, on American wealth relative to the rest of the world. So I was born into that uh, post-World War II generation. We had a couple of you know, let's say even, you know, four decades yeah. of hegemonic power over the rest of the world that and actually it was a way of, uh, you know, because, again, the exigencies of war, you know, it was a way of uniting uh, Americans. We had something that you could consider a dominant culture, uh, you know, particularly in the way we consumed media uh, in those decades. Uh, with the proliferation of social media, uh, you know, with the uh, the, the inevitable uh, process of the rest of the world catching up with us, you know, our uh, American way of life, so to speak, our American system yeah. uh, has come under challenges. And so, you know, that's, I think, and we have enough wealth that we can, uh, you know, afford to have these uh, these conflicts among ourselves. And I think also uh, there has been, and I think we've talked about it, Andrew, but I think Michael Gonzalez from Heritage has it right. Sure. He's a Cuban immigrant uh, who is a naturalized American. And he says there has been, and, and I find his argument completely credible, a steady march of Marxism through our institutions. We have generations of college students. We have unprecedented access to college, of course. But we have generations of college students 
who have been and, and now they have become they've gone into finance and policy uh, in, in, in large measure uh, and, and into the tech world. Uh, and they have been taught that a collectivist approach, uh, you know, that that government policy is the means by which, you know, this again, this coercion, but it's for sure. a good cause is the means by which we achieve uh, a better life for all. And I think, and that, you know, these are the titanic forces working to change, uh, you know, our, our relationship to each other. And then somebody pointed out uh, uh, to me the other day that, 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 you know, when you have this sense of tribalism, if you're yeah. in the tribe that thinks that socialism is that, that socialism is good, the other side yeah. looks at you and says, well, if you think socialism is bad, then I must think that socialism is good. And, and, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so it, it just it, it reinforces it. it. It's the entrenchment. Before I let you go, we got a couple minutes here. Yeah. What's happening? What, given what is happening in Congress, the administration right now, what is most concerning to you? What issue is most concerning to Congresswoman Nan Ayworth right now? Uh, HR one, HR one, uh, the, the, the drive to, well, the drive to, uh, institutionalize, uh, what happened in, uh, certain States, uh, notoriously, obviously Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Georgia, uh, to, uh, to change elections in a way that reduces their integrity, that makes it easier to manipulate, that makes it easier to defraud. And the Democrats, uh, in their so-called for the people act, uh, HR one, uh, which the house has now passed and, and we, you know, it, it, it could conceivably, uh, pass the Senate, although I, it, it won't because as long as there's a 60 vote, uh, requirement for closure on debate, they won't, uh, they won't pass it, but, uh, they could get rid of the filibuster. But if they do that, then that makes our elections, uh, almost infinitely uh, manipulable uh, by those who who seek to do that. And that worries me the most because that's just greasing the path. Uh, because I don't, I people that the party of government, the Democrats are the party of government. That's why I say, beware the party of government. Those who sure. feel that government is the means by which we achieve social good, as opposed to the framework in which we have the liberty, all of us, to exert ourselves uh, in the most beneficial ways, as we see as we see them by our lights. Uh, that is the most dangerous thing we can possibly do. Nan, listen, I always, always enjoy our conversations. You know, we got to get, you know, at some point I think we got to get you on one of these um, weekday Facebook Live things that, that Jerry and I do so we can uh, we can spend more than a couple minutes. So I'll, I'm going to figure that out with Jerry this week because uh, I know Wonderful. he will want to talk to you about HR1 as well. Yeah. Uh, Nan Hayworth, yeah. uh, thank you so very much for joining us today. Andrew, always my privilege. Thank you for yeah, your voice. That's always great. We'll, we'll have Nan back. Uh, that was uh, Dr. Nan Hayworth, uh, former member of Congress uh, from New York. We always uh, appreciate having her on. Listen, when we come back, I want to have a conversation about HR1, um, especially something, and I know Jerry's going to spend some time talking about this tomorrow, uh, an amendment that was proposed we spent some time on the Facebook Live yesterday talking about this. In case you missed it, we'll talk about it again today. Uh, Ayanna Presley, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, put in an amendment that uh, I think on the order of 150, 150 uh, uh, Democratic congresspersons also voted in favor of. Uh, that, that being 
lowering, uh, enshrining in a congressional bill, lowering the voting age from 18 to 16. And 150 Democrats, I'm sorry, maybe it was 125 Democrats joined with her. Want to get your thoughts. I am Andrew Langer. This is WBAL News Radio 1090 and FM 101.5.